0: Thanks Rebecca and Brett That song goes all the way 1600 years Our hearts are restless Till they find rest in thee O God It's Augustine And uh, Jesus himself said Come to me all you who are weary And burdened And I will give you rest You need that don't you I need that Let's go to the Lord in prayer Father um, it really is true It really is true Lord, we, we, um, we're restless. We are, we are wandering. We're so prone to wander our hearts, Lord. And uh, until we find in you and you alone our satisfaction, our rest, we will not find joy and peace. So, Father, I pray today that you would help us to find that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you in such a magnificent and powerful way, Lord, a fresh new way, a way that, Lord, exalts you into um, a God that is bigger than we can ever imagine. So, Father, I pray today that you would just anoint these words, that you would speak through me and in me and help me to live them out and help your people to live them out. I pray in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Well, what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to take the sheets you find in your bulletins, these sheets right here, and I want you to put your name on top of this sheet, okay? Take these sheets out of your bulletin and uh, I want you to put your name on top of this. We're going to have a pop quiz. Now, some of you say, especially you students, you're like, school's not till Tuesday. First of all, you cancel the church picnic, and now you're making me do a pop quiz. Come on. What's going on? This is the Labor Day weekend. Well, I think this, this quiz will be very helpful. In fact, it's just going to be a, a one question quiz. And um, it's. It, and by the way, this test I'm going to give you. It's a hundred percent or nothing. Okay, hundred percent or nothing. So I want you to write this question on on your test, on your papers. Are you giving your best in life, or are you living by faith in Jesus Christ? Let me say that one more time. Are you giving your best? In life, or are you living by faith in Jesus Christ? And some say, John, aren't those the same thing? God has given us talents and abilities. We need to maximize them. He gives us our jobs, and it's our responsibility to to do them to the, the best of our ability. God gives us these things. Students, you get, a, you get a new set of clothes, and you're going you're gonna to look all nice and spiffy. I don't know if they even use the word spiffy anymore. <laughs> but anyways, you're trying to make a good impression. And regardless of last year's grades, you're going to, this is a new year. I'm going to do my very best. And isn't it true that we, all the time, we tell ourselves things like, you know, just give your best, and God will take care of the rest. It's a really cute, nice cliche, but is it true? Let me ask you this What if your best isn't good enough? What if your best isn't good enough? Take hockey as an example you Now, when I was growing up, I loved playing hockey And, um you know, every day after I got home from school I'd be out playing hockey on the road with my friends And then all Saturday we'd be playing and You know, my mom would call me in to eat And, and I'd just scarf down my food And then I'd get back out there and play And uh, that really helped It helped when I got back onto the ice and, and I was able to score a few goals So much to the point that I actually got invited to a tryout With a travel team or a rep team And uh, so I showed up for the practice and and the tryout And, um, you know, I was able to to do some of the drills With the stick handling and all that Because you you do that all the time in, in road hockey But when it came to the skating When it came to the skating Which is what really brings you to another level of hockey, right? How fast you can skate, how well you can skate Guess what? I didn't make the cut my best was not good enough What if giving your best Is not good enough For God All of a sudden Some of you might be a little uneasy You're trying to be the best Husband or wife Father or mother Grandfather or grandmother Son or daughter Worker Employee, student You're trying to be the best that you can be. You know that God has entrusted you with certain talents and gifts and ability and even people. And you know you must steward them well. You also know that God inspects what he expects. So you really try to do your best and you think that you're passing the test. You're doing okay. However, there's some in this room who know you're not doing so well. You know that you're not passing the test. If I was going to put myself in one of those two categories, thinking I I passed the test or I'm not passing the test, you know what I would put myself? Not passing the test. Not passing the test. You know why? Because I just went on vacation. And I got to spend time with my family. And I got to say that being at home is one of the most challenging places to live out our faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? Home is the place where we really reveal our motivations. We reveal our our real hearts. And I got to tell you that, in my case, I strive to give it my best. And and I try to teach my kids to do their very best and give their best. But the result is always the same. They revert back, and I revert back to telling them to keep the rules. Because guess what? They're not perfect. And neither am I. You try putting four very little active children in a tent... For a week at a time. And see if you don't revert to the rules. Stop fighting with your brother. Or if you just be good. If you just be quiet for a little bit. We'll give you, a, we'll give you some ice cream. Right? Am I living by faith in Jesus Christ? Or am I starting to live by the rules again? By the law. Now, I'm probably the only one who ever does this in this room. I just thought I'd confess that with you today. The question really stands. Am I living by Jesus, or am I asking myself and my family to live up to a certain standard that they never can? I'm not saying that the rules are bad. The rules protect us. The rules show us that we have a problem and that problem's always to point us to Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I gotta say, if I'm gonna give myself a passing grade on this test, am I giving my best in life? I'd say, yeah, I'm trying my best. But I'm not always living by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it true that our best and our children's best will not make the cut, will not pass the test, because God's standard is absolute perfection. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, "You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Perfection. That's the standard. Let, let me come from from a different angle. Many of us have been convinced in this room that we are justified By our faith. In other words, we are made right by what God has declared about us because we believe in Jesus. However, very few of us believe that we are also sanctified or made holy by our faith. When in reality, we find in the books of Acts, Acts chapter 26, verse 18 the Apostle Paul is told explicitly by God this truth. I am sending you you to them, the Gentiles, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who were sanctified by faith in me. Too often we have become practical deists. We have, we have, in a sense, said, God saved us. He came to earth, he fixed our problem, but now he kind of leaves us to life, and we gotta do life on our own. And we gotta grow ourselves and we gotta obey and we gotta keep the rules and we gotta do our very best. However, Romans chapter 1, verse 17 declares the righteous will live by works. The righteous will live by what faith we don't become righteous by faith god has already given us his righteousness through christ and we are now to live by faith in him and this is what abraham the father of our faith learned and not until he struggled a long time with living by his own effort and works and so i hope to encourage you this morning let's Let's turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So if you need to find Genesis, just just turn to the front. And let me give you a little bit of background on Abraham. First of all, Abraham was born and raised in Ur. That was a city and and God told him to, to leave Ur and to leave all of his family and to go to a land where God had promised. And so guess what? Abraham, despite the fact that this is all he ever knew He decided to trust God And he went to the place where God told him Even though, even though Abraham was not sure exactly where that place was going to be This was the first step of faith And and, and God blessed him in this initial calling and, And he went where God told him However, there's a problem Abraham had no children He had had no children to pass on his inheritance That was his safety net That That was the way to be able to extend his legacy And so it wasn't until 86 years old That he became a father to Ishmael Now imagine this Having a child when you're 86 years old Can you imagine all the wisdom That you would be able to pour in to that child if you could remember it all, it would be great. I don't know. I think I think you'd be pretty tired though, wouldn't you? Actually, you know what? I, I've known some people who've had children uh, later on in life. In fact, there was there's a little kid by the name of Eddie. He was on my hockey team, and um, Eddie's dad was in his seventies. And so um, Eddie's dad was the kind of father who just showered him with love and just spent all, all the time he could because he knew that he would not see Eddie grow up to be a husband and a father. You know, I, I think that that's how Abraham was. When he, when he had his children later in life, he, uh, he spent time with them. He loved them. One of the other important things to know about Abraham was that Abraham had a habit of trying to fix, fix things on his own. See, after showing initial faith, Abraham reverted back to work and to rules to change his situation. He wasn't always living by faith. This is particularly true in his home. When he found himself in Egypt and also in the Negev, of, uh, in between Egypt and in what we now call the Promised Land, he always took matters into his own hands, and he was among strangers, and he thought, you know what, these guys are gonna kill me. I have such a beautiful wife, and so, hey, hey Sarah, would it be okay if you just said you're my sister? We're, we're, we're half-brother and sisters, so that's, that's not gonna be a problem, is it? And Sarah went along with it. Now, Lori would never go along with this, okay? <laughs> now, I wouldn't even try it, Lori, okay? He's always trying to fix things on his own trying to strategize. Abraham was also a fixer because he tried to help God out by obtaining a child through Sarah's handmaid handmade Hagar. So he slept with her, and he ended up having Ishmael. But that wasn't the son that God had promised. In fact, it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old that God fulfilled his promise and and Abraham became the father of Isaac through Sarah. And however, there's one more important truth about Abraham. It's found in chapter 21, verse 34, and it says this, the very end, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Just before we jump into chapter 22, the question needs to be raised. The author is really pointing us in the direction. Was Abraham going to adopt the culture and the ways of the culture in his life? Was he going to adopt the pagan ways, the ways of the world? So let me read to you Genesis chapter 22. To be honest, I hope I can get through this because as I... Just identify with this and try to put myself into this story. Think about my own kids. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, "Abraham! Here I am," He replied. Then God said, "Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah." Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set about for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. That's important. Underline that. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Notice that Isaac's carrying the wood. And Abraham is carrying the fire and the knife, the dangerous parts. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord... Called out to him from heaven, Abraham! Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. (laughs) This has got to be one of the craziest stories in the Bible. God tells a hundred plus year old man to take his beloved only son. Remember what had happened. Ishmael had already been sent away, hadn't he been? Chapter, Chapter 21, verse 14. Ishmael had already been sent away. This is his only son that's left. And God tells this 100-year-old man to take his only son up onto a mountain and to kill him. Now, my atheist friends, the ones I dialogue with, when they read these stories, they say, this is why I don't believe in this God that you're trying to tell me about. You have this crazy kind of stories in here. Who would want to believe in a God like this? Well, let me explain the story of Genesis 22 and why it's so instructive for us to live by faith and to show who God really is. In fact, there's lots of questions that abound from this passage. Um, I encourage you, come out on Tuesday night to our small group or to your small groups and, 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 and work these questions out. Apply them. But I only have one question that I'm going to address today. And it's this. Why did God need to test Abraham? Why did God need to test Abraham? Not too many like tests. Some of you broke out into a sweat when I said, grab your pieces pieces of paper, put your name on the top. We're going to have a test today. (laughs) However, tests show us how much we know or reveal how hard we are working. Now, before you go any further, when I was studying this passage, and I saw that it says in verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham, I immediately made a note. I always make notes when I'm reading through the scriptures, and I make observations. And I wrote this, the test was for Abraham's benefit, not for God's. I thought, you know what, this, is, this, this, was, this story is to show how Abraham had worked hard at obeying God and had grown in his character to the point that he was willing to, to have great sacrifice. You know, he had been there walking with God for a hundred years, and so, so this is what you have to do. You just have to work long and hard and walk in the same direction in obedience, and you'll get there, and you will make great sacrifices, and you'll become a great person like Abraham. However, I no longer think that that's what this story reveals. It's really not much about Abraham, and his obedience, or the benefit he gained from the test. Why? Well, look at, at Abraham's quick response to God's calling his name. What does he say in verse 1? He says, Here I am. That, that phrase is actually repeated three times. It's repeated in in verse 1. It's also in verse 7. Father, and when he says, yes, my son, it really is. Here I am. And then he says it in verse 11 again. Here I am. (laughs) See, Abraham had already signed his name on top of the test. He was ready to go. He was ready for the test. And then in verse 3, it says this. I don't know if you caught it. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. <laughs> and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Now, most of us, upon getting such a request from God about taking your beloved son up a mountain to sacrifice him, don't you think you'd be up the whole night? Don't you think you'd be stewing and worried? Don't you think you'd sleep past your alarm clock? Don't you think you'd kind of wait until as long as you could to put this off? Well, I would. Not Abraham. He probably slept well because he quickly obeyed God. Hebrews eleven nineteen gives us insight into Abraham's thinking. It says this: Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, I I really believe that I think this this shows that the test was more about God's benefit, or could I say, for God's glory than for Abraham. See, testing does reveal what or who is being tested, but also the one testing. For example, think about how companies, you know, uh, like GM, what do they do? They take the car after it's all assembled and they take it for a test drive and they test their cars and they see whether they're safe. They see whether they're, um, they're in good condition, whether they're, they're working correctly. Now, is that test to bring glory to the car or is that to bring glory to GM, the manufacturer? How about when teachers test their students? In Ontario, all students are given standardized tests in certain grades to see how well their students in schools are doing. No, a test can be just as much about the tester as it is for the tested. In both these cases, the name of the manufacturer, GM, or you pick the company, or the school, their reputation is on the line. They're testing their students or their products because their reputation is at stake and they want to show something about themselves. The students and products get better. They get better, don't they? Under such testing. But the ultimate benefit is the tester. We often think the test is all about us, my friends, when in reality the test that you and I are going through is really a test about who God is. And whether he will come through. In Genesis 22, although it's a test for Abraham, ultimately the test is about God putting his name on the line and revealing something about his character. And I gotta tell you, God never fails the test. This is why he made the test impossible for Abraham to pass by himself. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. And we just get a a greater picture of what God was doing in Genesis 22. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. The Apostle Paul declares this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many This explains why God gives us his righteousness, and this is why life is about faith and not trying to work hard and become more righteous. See, everyone here today has something impossible in their life. Maybe it's a bad report from a doctor. Maybe it's an unreasonable boss. Maybe it's a wayward or troubled family member. Maybe it's impending bills that you don't have the money for. Maybe it's just trying to raise your kids to follow Christ. God is showing that only he can do the impossible and pass the test for his glory. However, we have a tendency to fight the test, to resist the test. We don't want to go through this trial. Why? Because something else is more important to us. Maybe our comfort, maybe our our desires to control every situation, maybe our approval of others. Abraham was living in that culture, that Philistine culture. Was he gonna follow the ways of the world? See, if God wants to bring you and me through something, with things that I know he's asking me to really give up, things that I really treasure, I I usually am quick to say, I don't want any any part of this. Even if I know, even if I know that it will cause me to have a, a grander and deeper picture of God's character in my life. So what am I telling you to do? Drag yourself up the mountain in obedience so you can get to see God's care and provision? That's frankly what we've been taught in Sunday school Since we were little kids And frankly it's no different than what Jews would tell you It's no different than Muslims would tell you This story of Abraham in Genesis 22 is actually in the Quran. And and so many people teach this passage in Genesis 22 and, And they say, you know what, just obey You can do it, I can do it we, we will do it. We'll muster up enough faith. Inspire me. Just try harder. Muster up enough faith. When in reality, that faith is not in God, but in yourself. However, this story makes no allowance for that type of, quote-unquote, faith. That's this willpower. And ultimately, it fails. Trying to give your best. There are mountains you can't or are unwilling to climb. The sacrifice of what is most precious to you would be one of them. The things that you think that you could not go on living if you lost it. What parent would be willing to give up their son, their only son, as a sacrifice to God? Abraham did because he believed God was both full of justice and grace, as Tim Keller says. But in the midst of the test, in the midst of the test, it doesn't appear that God is both full of justice and grace at the same time. God seems to be failing, doesn't he? In those tests that we're going through. To take this one step further, it seems in this story That God himself is threatening his own promise. Didn't he promise that he would bless all the nations through Isaac? Isn't this true? And yet he tells Abraham to go up on top of the mountain and to sacrifice his son Isaac? God is boxing himself in a corner. (laughs) How could God make a promise about a son who would be a blessing to all nations and then have him sacrifice? I love what Tim Keller says. Sometimes following the call of God is going to feel like God is killing you rather than saving you. But God is amazing. God is faithful. See, there's a promise of a son who would bless all the nations. This son was long-awaited, and he was so precious. He loved his father and followed and obeyed the father wherever he went. You see, when God was calling for the death of Isaac, he was pointing to the future when God himself would sacrifice his own son. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. That's everyone in this room. That's everyone in Oshawa, everyone in Canada, everyone across this globe. How will he not also alone with him graciously give us all things? God made his son, like Isaac, carry the wood up Mount Moriah. I you're right you're saying Mount Moriah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, we find out that Mount Moriah is the place around Jerusalem. It's the region around Jerusalem where the Temple Mount was going to be built and where Calvary occurred. And so Jesus, like Isaac, was that obedient son who laid down on the altar, except this time there was no ram as a substitute. Jesus stayed on the altar and he became the lamb. You see Isaac's death would have never passed the test. Isaac was not perfect as much as a good son he was. His sacrifice would have only meant temporary appeasement. As the writer of Hebrews 9 in 9 chapter 9 verse 13 and 14 says the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are ceremonially clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansing our consciences from acts that leads to death, so that we may serve the living God. My friends. What if the only way for Abraham to experience the promise of blessing all the nations of the world was to give up his son, Isaac, and in reality, give up a future son by the name of Jesus? Maybe your trust in God for that impossibility does does not only affect you, that trial, that test, that thing that's impossible in your life. Maybe it doesn't just affect you. Maybe it affects all your descendants. And that's why God is calling you to live by faith, something that you can't do on your own, something that you need desperately need Jesus to do in and through you. What Abraham finally learned was that he couldn't work for the needed change in his family. He believed not only God could, but would do what he promised. Abraham Abraham learned that God would provide. Literally, that God would see to it. (laughs) Things would become clear. It became clear that Abraham had to totally trust God with the impossible, and so should we. Now, it's at this point you might think, yeah, I'm gonna give up the most impossible for God. I'm gonna give up that, that trial, that test that I just can't see past. The only way I know to how to stop working and start trusting is to think about Jesus and what he did on the cross. He really loves you. He really loves me. You will never stop working. And ironically, give your best like Abraham did. The thing that is most precious to you, unless you know that God will pass the test. Only God can pass the test so that you will too. Are you giving your best? Or are you living by faith in Jesus Christ today and every day? Let's pray. Father God, I I just want to thank you right now. I want to thank you for passing the test that looked impossible, that looked that you were cruel. You're not. Thank you for that. Thank you for the in a sense being cruel Lord from our perspective initially of what you did to your son Jesus by sending him to the cross and dying. But thank you also for raising him from the dead so that we too may have life. That we might now be able to live by faith and live by faith in the Son of God. Thank you for that. Your grace is amazing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.